Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Gregory, how are we doing today? Well, I can't speak for you, Scott, but I will speak for myself. I'm doing quite well. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. I know uh, that you are doing well. I just didn't want to speak for you. Of course, you're doing well. Aren't you always? <laughs> hey, we try. Steady Eddie, as I've been called a time or two, perhaps, but I'm doing even better because we've got an outstanding conversation teed up, Greg. Really enjoyed the pre-show with our yep. panel and, and the whole gang here. Uh, and today, folks, you're in for a treat, because I bet a ton of business leaders out there, Greg, would love, love to transform inventory into a big old pile of ready money. And hey, Greg, if it applied to content inventory, sign us up, right? So if You had me at money. <laughs> if that appeals to you, folks, you're in the right place, because not only are we going to be sharing actual insights and expertise on how to do just that, get a pile of ready money from your inventory of your own, but we're going to be featuring Greg, an organization that's done it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, big, big, big organization that's done it. That is right. So stay tuned, folks, because they're going to be sharing some, some key tips and best practices and some tools and been there, done that actual insights that you can apply in your own organization. So with that said, Greg, I'm going to welcome in our two guests here today, Evram Artigrul, Deputy Head of Corporate Logistics Department at Sumitomo Corporation of Americas, and John Ames Jr., Vice President of Business Development with OptiLogic. Hey, hey, John, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, I'm glad you got the junior in there. Some people forget, <laughs> yeah, that, right? Wouldn't want dad getting mad like you're claiming his name, right? <laughs> well, John, great to have you. Enjoyed our pre-show conversations. And Ever, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Great yeah, to great. see you as well. We've got a great conversation teed up, Greg. We really enjoyed the pre-show talking a little bit of sports, a little bit of supply chain, and then some. But Greg, we want to talk a little food for a little fun warm-up question, don't we? Always. I'm pretty sure that's what people tune in for as much as anything else, right? Is what food are we going to make them hungry with today? Yes, you hit the nail on the head. So, Greg, Evram, and John, today in the States is National Pickle Day and National Spicy Guacamole Day. And by the way, if you love delicious guac and you're ever in Washington, D.C., you got to check out Oyamel Cochina Mexicana. Big hit with our family back in the spring. But I digress. So with those delicious snacks and treats and food stuff as a backdrop, I want to ask you all, and John, we'll start with you. When your family and friends get together, whether it's for a tailgate or a basketball game or the holidays, what's one of your favorite side dishes or snacks that's always on the table? Well, I lived in Texas for a while, and there was this thing called Rotel Cheese Dip that you would oh get. Oh, my gosh. It's probably not the most healthy thing just to be open about that but because it's like this big brick of Velveeta that you put Rotel peppers in and you need a big scoop of Fritos with it and mm -hmm. it's delicious 
it's really good. And it's good on a winter day too. So for the holidays, it's a good, uh, a good snack. Thank you. And Greg, I think we're going to get the honest truth from John today because he even threw in a little blurb about whether that the healthiness aspect of that. Yeah, well, so, I like that. I mean, I think, I think health consulting is, you know, it's appropriate <laughs> when we're talking about food like this, right? Think you of gotta, it you as gotta a, have a warning disclosure yeah. statement, Scott. Yes. Well said. Perfect. This disclosure statements are important. All right. So, Evram, that's going to be tough to top that cheese dip that John was talking about. What about you? What's one of your go tos? And we might have lost Evram, oh. and we did. And that happens there from time go. to time, folks. Live Internet. programming. Yeah. That's right. So, our team's working fast and furiously to get Evram back. So, stay tuned on that. Greg, let's, let's close out the conversation talking foodstuffs. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, if Rotel cheese dip kills you, totally worth it. I'm just going to say, John, as long as you've, as long as you put that disclaimer out there, it is utterly delicious and lots of people use it lots of ways. I've seen people put it on their chili or kind of in their chili, right? right. but you know, it made me think when we lived in Arizona, one of our favorite restaurants had a bean dip that was spectacular mixed with a salsa and all of that sort of thing. And it was, that has to be my favorite side ever. Mm. Mm, that so. sounds delicious, delicious. Yeah. And, and y'all can, y'all can have a contest for what is probably more unhealthy. I don't know, but regardless, Greg and John, what a great start. And we're going to try to get everyone back here in just a second. By the way, Catherine says Rotel Dip was a staple at college tailgate parties. T squared is back with us holding down the fort on YouTube from Baltimore and Chris. Great to see you from Webster, Massachusetts via LinkedIn. Welcome to everybody and look forward to hearing your take throughout today's conversation. Okay. While we work to get Evram back, John, I want to start with you as we get into the inventory, ready money, supply chain leadership conversation we got teed up here today. Let's start with some context. So, John, we really enjoyed previous conversations with you and the Optilogic team, but tell us for a handful of folks who may have missed those. Tell us briefly about your company and what you do there. Yeah, sure. So, Optilogic is uh, the world's leading supply chain design company. It was founded in 2018 by uh, Don Hicks. Um, he was the co-founder and CEO of Lamasoft for uh, over a decade. We had the opportunity in 2018 to redefine and, and build a new supply chain design technology platform from scratch, which not a lot of companies get to do. And Don put together the, a lot of experts that have done it before. So we're a startup in some ways, but we're really not. We started to look at building uh new new ways of thinking of design, including things like adding risk to your optimization and simulation outcomes. It, it's also looking at what happens with inventory and using AI-driven technologies because we all use some of the old technologies in the past and we wanted to, to improve upon those, not just kind of make a new, new product out there that's cloud native that's using a lot of the old technologies. So we started doing that in 2018 and we have over 100 active users on our platform right now and, and including a lot of Fortune 1000 companies like Sumitomo. Outstanding. Greg, they're changing how business is done. This is one of the themes I picked up there. John, Greg, your quick thoughts. Yeah, well, like so many things in supply chain, network optimization is not a new concept. It's just with the wealth of, of data that we have available, it can be completely re reimagined. Right. We talk about this with planning and a lot of other things as well. And, and it is uh, sorely in need of, of being reimagined. I have a good friend who started a, a network optimization company and they were very smart using heuristics and 
kind of linear algorithms and that sort of thing. And we always talked about that they really need a learning system, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about it. This how long we were talking about it, John. Neural networks. So we were oh, talking yeah. about those. Yeah. Uh, I remember those. Yeah. I, barely. My right? legility days. And uh, yeah. And you know, it was funny, Greg, we were building the platform and then the pandemic hit and we saw a lot of these supply chains breaking and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, did we do something? What did we do wrong with Lamasoft and, and, and supply chain guru and that, that technology? And that's kind of where we see this need for improved ways of thinking about what is a good supply chain, not just focus on cost. There's a lot of these fragile supply chains out there breaking. So that's kind of how we started the, the building out our platform during that time. Mm. Well, welcome. Thank you, John and Greg. Evram, uh, welcome back. Uh, great to have you here. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, Murphy's Law is alive and well still in certainly global technology. And you rejoined at a great time. We're just kind of setting the stage, adding some helpful context on the front end. So, Evram, if you would, tell us briefly about what Sumitomo does and a little bit about your background. Sure. Sumitomo Corporation of America Squad was established 1952. It's headquartered and based in New York City. We have nine offices in a major United City. And then uh, Squad is the largest subsidiary of the Sumitomo Corporation of America. Sumitomo Corporation, one of the world's leading trader of the goods and services. So Sumitomo Corporation headquarters is in Japan as an integrative business enterprise working with multinational project as important international investor and financer uh, distribution product all over all around the world, utilizing our network and then offices. And so, you know, thank you for that, Evram. And Greg, one thing we learned about Evram as a uh, a fun personal fact, we'll have to bring her back on a different show. Is she was a former professional basketball player. I bet some of those skills are perfectly relatable and helpful in the world of supply chain, huh? I think we're building a venerable panel for supply chain geeks to talk sports. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's I right. We, I think, yeah, she's on the short list for sure. That's right. <laughs> well, well, I'm mean, not short list. <laughs> we don't have any idea how tall she is. We, she just, know, we just know she was a one guard. So that's right. That is great right. footwork. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, so true. And everyone, welcome to, again to okay. you and John. I really appreciate what y'all bring to the table and on the side. Hey, welcome. Korai and Jonathan, we got a lot to get into here. Great. Welcome to have everybody and want to get your takes throughout the conversation. So as we continue setting the table a bit, John, I'm going to stick with you here. Mm -hmm. As you've got your finger on the pulse of business leaders out there in the industry, what are some of the biggest inventory challenges that you're seeing business leaders faced with out in the industry right now, John? Yeah, I kind of started talking about that with, with Greg and a lot of it relates to risk and resiliency. And inventory specifically as a strategy to figure out how to be more resilient. You know, the pandemic was one thing that, that, that occurred, but there are a, a, a lot of different things that are disrupting supply chains today. There's capacity issues, there's war, there's climate related issues, there's strikes. And a lot of companies are looking at you know, not how to reduce my inventory costs per se, but use inventory as a weapon to be more resilient when a disruption happens. Mm. The other is just simply quantifying how risky their supply chains are. A lot of companies haven't really defined what is, what is how risky their supply chain is. And, and that could be 
external risk, but internal risk, things like lead time, things like capacity, things like variability. And, you know, they need to figure out what's their tolerance for risk when these things happen. So I think those are two things that are, that are out there. The other is a lot of companies that over the last few years have invested a lot in planning and visibility, but they really haven't understood how to create kind of a, uh, a sandbox for, you know, what is the best policy to feed these solutions. So a lot of times planning solutions rely on the, ex- the, the planners to put in the, these policies. So what makes it, what, what makes these policies optimal? That it's really a heuristic based approach. So how can they get their planning systems to, to work better to help not only with inventory, but other types of metrics that they're focused on, like cost and service. And you hear a lot about digital twins lately or digital transformation. And I think a lot of the inventory challenges are how do I build this end-to-end digital model that truly represents my supply chain as it relates to inventory? Because a lot of times there's these simplifying assumptions that they might have put in or they're using spreadsheets or something that's not really implementable uh, and be able, being able to tweak something and identify where you can have ready money is it, not just something, it's not out there for, for a lot of these companies. Yes. All right. So you shared a lot there. Before I move over to Evram, Greg, I want to get you to weigh in really quick. He touched on a b- bunch of things from risk and resiliency to risk tolerance, sandbox, implemental, implementability. I think that's a word. And of course, ready, <laughs> ready money. Greg, weigh in on what you heard there from John. Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the things you have to acknowledge about supply chain is we are more and more seeing that it is an ecosystem and not a chain at all, right? It is interrelated, interdependent, right? And one thing affects another, right? The butterfly effect is alive and well in supply chain. And the, the other thing that I think John addressed early on was this notion that supply chain is a cost saving exercise. It's really not. It's a risk balancing exercise and cost is one of those risks, obviously a very important one of those risks, but so is resiliency, right? So is speed. So are ethics these days, finally. And I think we have to address all of those in union, not individually. So, you know, whether you're talking about optimizing, I think somebody mentioned network optimization and flow, whether you're optimizing flow or you're optimizing inventory levels or you're optimizing service of inventory, all of those things are interrelated and impossible to extract from any of the others. Well said, Greg. Appreciate that. All right. So, Evram, same question. We get, we got, we want to get you and John to weigh in on those inventory challenges that you're seeing out there, whether it's at Sumitomo or out in the industry. Yeah, so I think that you guys throughout pointed out all the highlighted topics in here. In, in the current Sumitomo business landscape of our global supply chain, businesses are made international network of supplier and clients. So as the competition that become fiercer on product and quality and price, the pressure on our supply chain is like increased as an execution, right? So what we see in here, the complexity of the supply chain that we have, global supply chain shift daily, placing on a burden on our inventory planning and management operation. We can see the customer demand is constantly shifting. 
keeping too much inventory could result in obsolete inventory you are unable to sell. So mm -hmm. while keeping too little could leave you unable to fulfill your customer order. You know, so it's important for us to order strategy for core items. So the complexity of the supply chain is also do all the human us, right? So interacting with each other over the long distance with different tools, different capability, different information can lead to confirmation bias. We also seeing that a lot of gut feeling into the decision-making point, we also capturing those things while we are daily business operation. But more importantly, even if the business leaders strive to align with their team, so each actor is pursuing its own objective, so often resulting divergent action because everybody focus on their objective daily, finish daily work, not to see the big picture, step back and look at the, what feature may look like. Nobody have time to do that. They want to finish on daily work and solve the daily problem. So we see that as a one of us, one of our challenge yes. for inventory. Thank you, Evram. No one's got time for that. I love how you threw that in there, Evram. Greg, I'm get you a quick comment. The other thing that she mentioned, pressure is up, complexity is up, prices is up, change is up, inventory in some cases is up. Greg, your thoughts? Awareness is up. I mean, there's nowhere to hide now, right? Before the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, nobody knew what Sumitomo even did, right? Or how they interrelated. They didn't know how Clorox or Charmin interrelated with Walmart or with price or uh, what is it called? Costco. I want to still call it mm -hmm. price, um, right. Or their local grocer. But when things ran out, everybody learned about the supply chain really, really quickly. And that is the most important thing is whoever your consumer is, whether they're an end consumer or production consumer or whatever, they know how the supply chain works now and there is nowhere to hide. So all of those complexities have always existed right now. It's just that everyone, even the lowest forms of life, like politicians, know about them. So we have to respond appropriately because now it's more than just costs, John, as we talked about, or even resiliency. Now your brand identity is at stake and you have to protect that brand identity at all costs. Mm -hmm. Well, well, not all costs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Without all costs. I thought you were going to definitely throw in a listen up there, Greg, to continue that theme. But we'll get to that later in the show, perhaps. And T-squared uh, ads, Tyrone ads, interrelation is also definitely up. Those relationships, those critical relationships out there that help make industry happen. Great point, Tyrone. Okay. So, John, circling back to you as we move right along, you know, continuing focused on inventory, I want to start with a little bit of history. Why do decades-old inventory optimization methods tend to fail, John? Yeah, you know, and I, I go back in a lot of different inventory technologies, and I think it gets back to being able to model real world variability, real world demand. If you think about some of the, the technologies, they assume average demand, they assume normal demand, they have an a assumption around guaranteed upstream service that just doesn't really work in the real world. So you try to apply these, the outcomes of these solutions. And they don't really work when you feed them to planning and execution. Another reason is a lot of them are focused on safety stock, but a lot of times there's production processes, there's transportation policies 
that are impacting work and process in transit inventory where safety stock's really irrelevant. I mean, uh, a lot of times you're getting this big slug of inventory a, a every month or every two weeks. And it's that process that's driving inventory pain, not safety stock. So I think part of that's that. The, the other is a lot of times services and input into these solutions when really they need to be modeling what the service performance is going to be. And that's really where we, have, when we were looking at our, our new technology, we're saying simulation really needs to be used because it can model all of these things. It can model your order transactions. It can model your on-time in full service rate. And the old technologies are not really using that piece. And I think that's why a lot of them are, are failing. And, you know, even going back to like a lot of companies are using network, network line and, and turns-based inventory to approximate inventory savings. And that's even more simplifying than, than the than safety stock optimization tools. Mm. Thank you, John. I got, I'm keeping notes at home, Greg. I'm on, I think page seven so far. I'm only halfway through Evram. Speak to, <laughs> if you would, why do not these old traditional approaches, why are they so broken and just don't work these days? Yeah. In addition to John, I totally agree with John comment in here. So we, I talk about the complexity and then Greg made a great comment is the awareness, but the, a lot of complexity that we have is below the inventory level. It needs more optimization. A lot of optimization we need at each different level. And then, so we have to solve those problem, inventory optimization problem. So we have only two methodology, like a mathematical model and then simulation. So mathematical model that we have seen so far rely on the restrict restrictive assumptions such as normal distributed demand and then lead time or fact all excess demand would result in a back order. So that's why the mathematical model, which is traditional methodology, it's tend to fail. It's as John mentioned, it's averaging, averaging approach is eliminate some of the variation between, between the data. So in the, it's not realistic. It's uh, in this world. So that's why we are recently using the inventory simulation ap approach, utilizing the optologic genetic algorithm to optimize inventory level because the inventory models are abstraction that cannot capture all possible action to balance supply and demand. That is the issue on the traditional methodology and mathematical model. We cannot assume that linear and normal distributed everything. So the complexity that we have, we need to find out all the variation or, or the level to find the best fit or an inventory policy. Excellent point, Evram. And Greg, one of the things I heard Evram and John speak to is maybe the older technology, older approaches are really built on static utopian worlds. And that's just not reality. But your thoughts, Greg? Well, they're also built based on a presumption of lack of data or lack of robust data, right? That's why they use averages and that's why they use heuristics and that's why they use these more broad methodologies, right? That average out the lumps as Evram is talking about, because they're assuming a certain semblance of randomness because they can't capture more enriched data. But today we have much, much more rich data, which allows us to forecast, for instance, in better ways and to track and discover and learn from 
things like anomalies in the supply chain. How big was the impact? How likely is it to happen again? Does it simulate other types of anomalies or disruptions that can occur in the supply chain and how to provision for it? So that's the greatest flaw in these old systems. They use forecasting techniques from the 1880s and the 19, early 1900s, and then they use a great AI tool to choose which one of those horrible forecasting methodologies, horribly outdated forecasting metho methodologies to use this time, to use the past to predict the future, right? Yes. The past movement of goods to predict the future movement of goods. When we know that past movement of goods really has zero influence on the movement of goods in the future, but it's all we have. I mean, that is the presumption, right? That is the presumption of, for instance, forecasting techniques today. Yes. It's not like, all we have today. <laughs> I like how you picked on the 1880s or the last time the Atlanta Falcons won a big game. I, I got to watch it, That is really when a lot of those forecasting techniques were created. 1903 right. is the most recent forecasting technique truly created. Many have been adapted, but truly created. Mm. Well, there's good news, folks. John, Evram, Greg, and all the folks out there listening in, in the audience, there's great news. And you know, as much as I've enjoyed the first half of this show as we kind of talk shop, talk industry about what we're seeing and what we're doing, there's a great story here about a bold new direction. And that's the good news. There are things you can do that aren't like the things in that last segment that we got Greg and John and Evram to talk about. So that focuses this conversation around converting that inventory into ready money. So I want to start with you, Evram, because you and your team at Sumitomo are a big part of the good news here because y'all have done some big things and moved mountains along these lines. So tell us more what you and your team have been able to do. Yeah, so as we know that the inventory is the money sitting in another form on our pocket. And then we are always trying to explore how we can convert this inventory to ready money. So that's the big question with that. We don't want to solve the daily problem. We just want to explore the opportunity to improve the things. To be able to do that, the we, we collaborate with the OptiLogic inventory optimization module. We apply with the genetic algorithm, which is run a lot of simulation, risk-free environment, help us create many different scenarios. It's the, the tool give us the, the really good decision-making point. So one of the things in the Sumitomo, we are trying to build internal center of excellence within our organization to provide our group company support related supply chain design, best practice, researches, inventory optimization with simulation approach and network design, so on and so forth. The continuous improvement is one of our core strengths. Uh, recently, the project that we work with the uh, inventory optimization project utilizing the Cosmic Frog, uh, we have more than a 20 branch all around the Americas, the, the company, and then every branch is became differently. They place the order differently, and then there is no any centralization. So you can see the, there are a lot of the customer location. So the, the question was the, how we can centralize the oldest flow. The idea was, is what if, if we create the regional distribution center to reduce the inventory? All we know that the consolidation of the location, it's going to reduce the inventory, definitely. But in the same time, adding additional stop within your network, it's going to increase the freight cost. So the, our, our uh, hypothesis in here to test, if we create the regional distribution center, what, what's going to be our trade-off between inventory holding costs and then the freight cost? 
the things we want to the answer those questions. To be able to do that, it's open to different evaluation as assessment in here. One is network optimization. So where it's going to be the regional distribution center within our current structure. So we run the network optimization utilizing the cosmic frog and we find the location, best location to create the regional distribution center. In the meantime, we create the baseline with 20 branches, including all the demand and purchase order and everything for transactional base. And I'm going to point out to Greg, we think that we have a lot of data, but when we try to work on it, actually we have totally mess. I know that we are not alone. So we have a lot of going through the data structuring process, but it's just a moving on. It's just a continuously focus on, okay, we want to do that. And we have really great partner with OptiLogic. We find the most optimal location and create the RDC model uh, onto the platform. And then through the RDC, we create the simulation. We run 2,500 unique simulation, 30,000 SKU we're talking about in here. So we are able to capture trade-off between the inventory holding cost and then the freight cost. So in mm. the meantime, we are able to run the genetic algorithm approach through the baseline. And actually, without creating the RDC, we are able to find the better management of our inventory policy that can provide us the cost reduction opportunity. So we create three different scenarios, actually. Baseline with the GA, creating with the RDC, and also we move forward that some of the branches is geographically located is further and we don't have to bring carry product move back and forth. We move those branches from our RDC to baseline and kind of the hybrid model. We run the hybrid model and then we have three different scenarios. So which is amazing that we are providing the, our business to option if they improve their SS policy, because which is the good thing for the genetic algorithm of the logic, output table is to provide you the suggested inventory policy. And then for that SKU, if you apply this SS policy, which our case mean max, and then you're going to save that amount of the money. So you can go work on this prioritize SKU. You can move on implementation or discussion on the proof of concept, which we are moving on right now. So I just want, I, I was really excited about this project. We are able to use the simulation and there is no way to old traditional methodology that we can run 25 different simulation with the transaction base and find the best fit model to test it. So that's why we are able to achieve with OptiLogic. I think this is a good, this is a good progress. We can share more detail if anybody wants. Outstanding. Huge practical outcomes. And, and I'm going to overly simplify. I'm going to get John to comment. And then, Greg, I'm going to get your take on what Evram and John are describing. But in real simple terms, what I heard there, Evram, is you take all these inputs right into this Cosmic Frog platform, which we're going to touch more on back so other folks can take advantage of that. You can run through tons and tons of simulations. It'll give you a suggested path. And then you can compare different scenarios. And then all of that will help you and your team arrive at a much more informed and optimal overall inventory policy. And that is, man, that's music to my ears, even if it's uh, simplified. 
John, what would you add to that? Yeah, I mean, everyone laid it out really well. And I think if you go back to the conversation we were having about the, the drawbacks of the old technology simulation, it's at that transaction level. It's at that daily level. It's modeling your current, it's basically acting like how your planning policies are working today. So when we modeled the baseline, we said, here's where you are today with inventory, and here's where you are with service, and here's where you are with total cost. The genetic algorithm, and you could say it's, it's AI-driven simulation, if you want, since, since technology companies have to say AI every, every at least three minutes, I think we have to say it. Uh, two um, now, John. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got two. I got, I got eight more. So the AI was able to guide the simulation. And what was missing in, in past uh, simulation tools was, yeah, you can measure performance, but how do you test a lot of policies? So because we're cloud-native, we were able to run 2,500 different simulations at that transaction level, being guided by a genetic algorithm that says, based upon your goals of service and cost, these policies either are working good and I want to test some more around that, or it throws out the policies that aren't working well, and it converges on an optimal approach. And it's because it's at the transaction level, it's implementable. I mean, it's the policy, it's, you know, Sumitomo gave us their current policies and we tested all around that one, uh, both high and low, and were able to converge around an optimal approach that gave them less inventory at the, the same level of service that they needed. And it was, a lot of their items were, they were bought once or twice a year. It was not like the normally distributed demand for, for some of the items. So the simulation can work across a number of different types of demand profiles, as well as being able to work across the different designs. And we're excited about this approach because I think design in general, everybody's wanting to get to this digital twin, right? And you can't really do that with simplified optimization models. Sometimes you have to use optimization to be able to, and, and so we're doing things like optimization at the SKU level, but simulation really helps test these things out to give you that confidence. And then you can use it as a, a sandbox for your planning system when let's say you wanted a, a disruption happens or you just want to tweak different policies. And the cool thing is it's not just about the safety stock policies. It can be about any policy across your end-to-end -end supply chain. So we're super excited about this technology. I would be too, creating that free, ready money or not free money, but ready money. Greg, your thoughts on what you heard as you, you heard Evram and John describe what they were able to do at Sumitomo. No longer free money, right? Like right. it has been for the last decade. <laughs> yeah, I think that what I think found, I found it really interesting is a, a notion that I call, I've called and it's probably been called by others, sort of hub and spoke and that Evram is using Optologic to identify what goes into the hinterlands, which is a much less a diplomatic way of the the extended supply chain that she described, you know, that that factory out in the middle of the desert somewhere in Nevada or Kansas, and, and what goes into a more consolidated point, because the way that companies get to inventory that they absolutely cannot get out of is to put all of these slow movers, like John described, something that sells a, once a year, in every location. And absent the knowledge of how to optimize that, they wind up out there. And because another thing everyone described earlier, because so many companies acquire themselves to breadth of location and breadth of inventory, 
they might wind up with that anyway. But having this kind of a tool, they can pull that inventory back to a central point where it can go to the next location that's going to need it in case Garden City, Kansas just used it and isn't going to need it for another year, right? And for some reason had two, which is (laughs) not a rare instance. So the power in this is really, really significant. And the the importance of it is really critical because you wind up with all these all these parts or, or products or whatever. I mean, and it happens in retail too. Sweaters in Southern Florida, almost never needed, by the way. But you're welcome, Barney's. It allows you to really and truly op- optimize that inventory, therefore optimize the flow and therefore optimize your costs and your resiliency at the same time. And by extension, save your brand identity by being able to provide those things where they need to be in the appropriate time without excess cost. It's that excess cost to produce high service that gets companies in so much trouble. And when we talk about this notion of ready money, that's really what it is, right? Mm. I mean, inventory is an asset, it's a liability, and it's a lifeline. And you have to balance that very, very delicately. And the the financial means by which you do so is obviously important to the business. Excellent. Greg, I love how you bring us all the way, all the way almost back where we started the conversation. Very well done, Greg. And we've got a couple of folks asking questions in the comments, folks. We'd love, I bet John and maybe even Evram would welcome those questions after today's live discussion. And I bet John loves talking about this stuff over a nice cup of coffee or an adult beverage. So y'all check that out. And we're gonna make sure y'all know how to do that in just a minute. But before we get there, and before we offer up some cool resources, including some that Evram named as she was telling the story that her and her team, how they reached these powerful uh, outcomes. Before we get there, John, what advice would you have if you've got other companies and business leaders out there that are considering this, this new approach for inventory strategy, whether leveraging you know Cosmic Frog and Optilogic or other platforms or approaches, what would be your advice there, John? Yeah, a couple things, and everyone touched on one of them around data, but I'll bring up a, another one. You got to figure out what is a good supply chain. And it sounds like a simple question, but if you think about cost, you think about inventory, you think about service, you think about ESG metrics now with CO2 and fair trade, as Greg mentioned, what is driving a good supply chain. And yeah, inventory is part of it, but I think inventory, sometimes they, it gets isolated into a departmental objective when really it's so interdependent upon these other processes and policies that you really need to step back as an organization to say, what is good and how are we measuring it? It sounds so simple, but so many companies that we've talked to just aren't there yet. And on the data side, Sumitomo and, and what Everin's team did, and she talked about this with the, the data. Don't be afraid if you're missing data or if you're, if you don't think you have the data. There was a great quote I, uh, a long time ago. I heard it from a presentation. You could wait a lifetime for data to be quote unquote clean and you will never be there. So it's doing something. And then if you find that you're missing data, make some assumptions, run these types of models with those assumptions and then do some sensitivity around it. But don't get paralyzed into the, we don't have the data thing. There's a lot of ways that you can fill the gaps and start to learn. Because if you're not, if you're not doing anything, 
and you're not digging into the data, then you're not really understanding what you need to do and perform as a company long-term. I think that, that those would be my advice. Yes, John, that whole data point you made, it's like a classic film from the eighties, the never ending story. It's just cycles and cycles and cycles. Sylvia says, and great to see you, Sylvia. We need a more holistic approach to any supply chain. Excellent point, John. I agree, Sylvia. Okay. So Evram, same question for business leaders out there considering this good news approach, we'll call it, uh, where you get much better results. Any, what would your advice be, Evram? That uh, on our side, uh, one of the most significant reasons that company failed to act, they feel overwhelmed. So we did as well. So what we need to do, how are we going to start? Where should we start? You know, we just need to break down the task into the bite size pieces and which we believe that lead to tomorrow's success. And then my advice actually is focus on the opportunity rather than the problem. Because day, day to day, we always focus on fix the problem. But of course, we need to fix the problem. We must not sweep under the rug. But solving the problem is necessary, but it doesn't produce the results, right? I think that exploring the opportunity is producing the result. That's why our approach to exploring the uh, opportunity that find a better way to improve, that's really uh, that produced the result for us. So I think the way our thinking needs to be changed slightly to look for the opportunity rather than the fixing the problem. So this is my suggestion. And then I believe that it's going to be on the right path if we, if you think that way. Evram, I love that. What a great t-shirtism because it's not good enough just to put out the fire. And so to quote, and we'll get this right, focus on the opportunity. Not just the problem. Well said, Evram. Greg, okay, it's, this isn't your key takeaway. We'll get to that in a second. But on the advice that John and Evram just offered up, your thoughts there? I have to double down on the imperfect data. The solution is it's being attacked somehow in many, many cases, and often with iterative knowledge of a human being or you know, ragtag data in a spreadsheet. Figure out where the human being is intervening. Figure out if that's because of lack of data or imperfect data or whatever, and then simulate that, right? I mean, if you simulate the methodology that's being used today by the human, then you know the, you know the solution is being at least approached with lack of data. You can do at least that well with it. And if you have a system that learns throughout that process, then it learns what data, or you learn what data is needed, you make that the next stage of the solution. I think too many times when we implement technology, we try to, we, there's this paradox where we go, technology's in, problem solved, right? But it almost never works that way. And I think we know that intuitively, but, but instinctively, whatever we believe and maybe want to believe this paradox par that you plug in technologies and the problem's solved. So. Just recognize that it's going to take stages, that it will be better than it was before, but it may not be complete. And yeah, I love the don't let lack of data or imperfect data intimidate you. Agreed, Greg. Agreed. And by the way, Korak Jose loves your comments as well, Evram. Great session, folks. He loves the name Cosmic Frog. Technology needs to make life easier, more effective, and add value. And that focus on the opportunity, uh, he's going to be like the rest of us. And we're going to steal that from you, Evram. We might owe you some, some royalties or something um, from some of your wisdom you brought here. You and John both for that matter. Okay. 
So let's do this. As we kind of start to wind down our time, we got a couple of resources we're going to share in just a minute. We also have Greg's patented key takeaway in just a second. But Evram and John, I'm sure folks across our global listing audience are going to want to connect with you, compare notes, talk shop, maybe even get some basketball pointers, uh, Evram. Who knows? How can folks connect with you, Evram? What's the best way? LinkedIn. You can reach me out to LinkedIn, Evram Artigrel. It's just that easy. And we're going to drop, I think, the link to your LinkedIn there mm -hmm. in the chat. So thank you for sharing. And congrats on all the growth and success you and the team have had, Evram. That is a ton of hard work and tough decisions that go into that. But, man, the outcomes have been impressive here today. All right. So, John, how can folks connect with you and the OptiLogic team? I could say send a postcard, but I don't think that'll work. But LinkedIn will be uh, probably better. <laughs> okay, we're dropping those links there. Greg, we're, we keep picking on the 1880s or 1903 with the, some of our right. references, huh? Yeah, or the 1980s, right? That's true. We were still sending postcards, 80s, the 1980s, you're right. Okay, resources. Folks, I love, you're, you're going to really get a kick out of a couple of resources here. we got two of them from the OptiLogic team. The first one is this neat guide, Four Ways to crush service failures and improve profitability with inventory strategy design. We're dropping the link to that there in the chat. So check that out. And also you heard from Evram um, and a couple folks in the comments, her, she referenced Cosmic Frog. So John and the Optologic team are offering up a free trial about that of Cosmic Frog, a powerful cloud-based platform that will allow you to start designing supply chain models today. And going through those, I think by my count, and don't trust my math, but I think I heard 2,500 simulations, right? So check out tools like that Cosmic Frog. We got a link to that there in the comments. Really nice gesture there, John. Okay, so Greg, before we thank our guests and of course the audience for being here and all they added, mm -hmm. and of course, of course we wanna encourage folks to connect with our guests and check out those resources. But what was one of your favorite things you heard here today in this conversation? Cosmic Frog, it has to be way in the heck up there, honestly, but. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is the hope that regardless of whether your data is robust or rudimentary or, or whether it's highly available or it's missing or whether it's perfect or imperfect, that there is hope, right? There, you, you can still improve your business. And, you know, and, and I think also that I have seen what this type of network optimization does, and it is dramatic. It, it is unbelievably dramatic uh, impact on a supply chain, especially a far-flung supply chain, and especially supply chains with a lot of uh, highly expensive and or slower moving goods in it, it, it the impact is just incredible. And the, and the solution, the methodology that Evram described that they used at Sumitomo is extremely impactful and probably well within the capabilities of some semblance of your supply chain that exists today, right? You create these hubs, you've probably got larger and smaller outlets within your supply chain. So you can use those larger outlets for exactly what she was talking about, kind of a hub and spoke methodology. And it is really game changing. We did it at a company called Henry Shine when I started my tech company is just consulting. And the impact on their entire company was dramatic. Mm. So it can really, really have a really significant impact on your organization. And I would say, you know, take a look at it because I, I see that there are a lot of people with a very strict 
understanding of what network optimization is, but I would just say, open your mind to a broader definition of that and see what it can do for your business. Mm. Well said, Greg, focus on an opportunity and not the problems as Evram said earlier. So well said, Greg. Okay. So folks, before we, it might've been in the pre-show, I think John called Evram a playmaker. Well, Evram Artigrel with Sumitomo Corporation of America. Not only are you a playmaker on the basketball court, but you're clearly a playmaker in global supply chain. So thanks for being here today. Thank you very much. You bet. And of course, John Ames Jr. with Optilogic. Really appreciate not only your sense of humor, but all your expertise that y'all dropped here today. And of course, those resources that, that hopefully folks take Greg's advice and open that mind and check them out. See the power they can bring to the table. So John, thanks for being here today. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. And thanks, yeah, everyone, thank too. <laughs> thank you so, all. So, Greg, great panel. Thank you, John. Thank you, Evram. Greg, always a pleasure to knock out these conversations with you. Likewise. To all y'all tuned in, I know we could get everybody's comments and a couple of questions. Please reach out to our guests. I'm sure they will lean into a conversation, to compare notes, and talk business, talk shop afterwards. Thanks for being here, though, most importantly. But now we got to mm-hmm. challenge y'all, just along the lines of what Greg shared, right? Take something that Evram and John or Greg shared here today and put it into practice. Deeds, not words. Your team's waiting, begging for you to do things differently, right? They, they want to perform. Let's equip them with the tools and leadership to get them to, uh, to uh, lead the organization in the right direction and enable and empower them to be more successful. So with that said, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.